few things are more disgusting than close-up audio of somebody chewing. Having said that, I just ate the most fucking delicious tangerine I've had in a long time. Maybe it was a clementine, I don't know. Emily! Emily! Newman! She's ignoring me. Um, anyway, welcome to People on My Floor podcast. Episode four, possibly three, because um, I'm having an issue with the episode I recorded before this, but we're going to get it figured out. I have faith. I know you have faith. I don't know why you have faith in me. I wouldn't if I were you, but I know you do. So, um, Episode four, slash possibly three. Uh, we had Al Riggs. Al Riggs is a young singer-songwriter from the Triangle, I guess. Um, I guess born and raised in Cary, but is now a Chapel Hill guy. Lived in Raleigh for a while, but um, I just generally associate him with the Triangle. Uh, he's rad. He's fantastic. He... Um, he writes a lot of songs, he records a lot of songs, and he puts a lot of songs out, and that's kind of the narrative surrounding him, um, which is cool, you know, I guess, if you have to write about something. But at the same time, it's kind of bullshit because the songs that he does write and put out puts out are really good, um, and that kind of gets lost sometimes in the story, I guess. And... Um, Now that I'm thinking about that, I probably should have brought that up last night when we recorded this. But anyway, I um, I guess I'm just a shitty podcaster. Having said that, without further ado, my conversation with Al Riggs, uh, please stay tuned afterwards to hear a song from his newest album. And away we go. Okay, episode four. It's been decided. The people on my floor. Once again, someone who's not staying on my floor, as he's a local to Chapel Hill guy, Al Riggs. Welcome. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, so, so you are. You live in Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. but you were, but you grew up in. I grew up around the Triangle. Used to live over in Apex. Okay. And then when I was 20, I moved to Greensboro for three years. And then I moved back to Apex. And then like half a year ago, I moved to Chapel Hill. What were you doing in Greensboro? Uh, Just living. Um, I wasn't going to school. I wasn't really doing anything here when I was 20. So I just decided it was the time to just get out of the house. Yeah. Live on my own and have a terrible relationship like (laughs) we all do. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Were um, Were you living with your parents before you moved out there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then you went out there. Time to attack real life. Mm-hmm. How'd that go? It went all right. I was already working before because I did a few years of just working jobs after high school and doing some community college when I realized it wasn't really for me. Yeah. So I just decided to just get out and work and just live in the real in the in the real world in the quote unquote real world <laughs> yeah. on the main streets of Greensboro, North <laughs> Carolina. And what, what, what were you doing up there? Um, <laughs> I was working at any Jimmy John's that would have me. Yeah. Basically. Um, Are you like a Jimmy John's lifer? Uh, I mean, I guess the thing I've worked at five of them, my five separate Jimmy John's my whole life. 
my whole life, all of them are terrible, and all of them were run very poorly. But I was a delivery driver, so you can basically work anywhere if but you know good, how to drive. They're good sandwiches, though. Um, that's that's debatable. Well, if you don't <laughs> eat them every day, if I you guess. don't eat them every day, yeah, yeah, yeah. So all right, so then you came, you came back here. Yeah, somebody's texting me. I don't know. That's if that's, it's highly unprofessional. There's a lot so you, of buttons around here. I know, I know. It's um, so I, I hate buttons. <laughs> I don't, I don't like computers. I don't like technology. So you came back here, yeah. yeah. And you're you're so you're in Chapel Hill now. Yeah. Is your is your family still in the area? Yeah, my family still lives in Apex and Cary and everything. Okay. And um, so why? I mean, of all the places around here, why'd you move to Chapel Hill? I grew up listening to a lot of local music, uh, mostly out of uh, Merge Records and everything, and yeah. just sort of created this idea of what Chapel Hill was like uh-huh. in my head. Before Is it I, true? Um, half of it. Um, it's <laughs> it's kind of oh, what I like about Chapel Hill and especially Durham is that there's all sorts of every kinds of people that right. live in everything, everywhere in Chapel Hill and Durham. Um, um, especially Durham, because it's... Durham, I've always described it to people as very amorphous. Mm-hmm. There's no real transition uh, between, uh, like, you're you're driving downtown and then you make a right turn and all of a sudden you're in the warehouse district or right. you're in, uh, like... Uh, like where the plants are or you're in uh, apartments and everything. And then you're in the college and you've just driven in a complete circle and gone through five different areas. And that's kind of what I like about it. All within like a two mile radius. Exactly. You're constantly existing within five different kinds of towns at the same time. Which they're all weirdly ripped off of New York. Right. Like there's Park Slope, right? Right. And Central Park. Right. Um, That I can't, that I can't get down with. (laughs) Um, no, and, and, and one of the weird things that I kind of encountered when I first moved down here was, and, and something that I love, and I, I, you know, I try and take advantage of it, but don't nearly as much, is that, you know, Raleigh, Chapel Hill, Durham are three very distinct towns. Yeah. And I didn't realize that before I came down here. You know, I just thought it was, you know, because where I grew up on the Jersey Shore, you know, to, to take a 25, 30-minute drive to go hang out was no big deal. Right. You know, but here it's like, you know, I don't ever see people from Raleigh over here. Right. And if I'm in Chapel Hill, I don't. I mean, if I'm in Raleigh, I don't. I don't see Chapel Hill people over there except Mark Connor. Well, that. Well, that's the cruel joke of my life is that well, I lived in Raleigh a little bit before I moved up here to Chapel Hill, and I was working mostly in Chapel Hill and Durham and playing all of my shows in Chapel Hill and Durham and not playing any shows in Raleigh. As soon as I move up to Chapel Hill, that entire thing switched around. <laughs> all of my shows are in Raleigh. I'm working exclusively in Raleigh, so it's just hell right. a lot of the time. Where were you working in Chapel Hill? Um, you were working at School Kids I, Records. I was working at the School Kids in Durham and also the School Kids in Chapel Hill that used to be the CD Alley. Right. Um, and that's it. So why was... Were you intentionally not playing shows in Raleigh? It's not that I was intentionally not playing shows in Raleigh. In fact, for a long time, uh, I wasn't getting booked in Raleigh because Raleigh is a bit more of a rock yeah, yeah. Uh, rock town. Um, not necessarily a singer-songwriter-y place like Chapel Hill or Durham might be. Um, but all of that sort of changed once I started playing with other people and moved. So Wait, what do you mean when you started playing? Like a band? So I did a show. Uh, I got called up or emailed 
to do hopscotch, which was fucking insane yeah. to me. I was like running around the room screaming like, oh, my God. Did you email them or did you hit you up? They the came to me, wow. which is really weird. And if you look back and it's still just the funniest thing ever. If you look back at last year's hopscotch poster, I am the very, very last person on the poster. You just sort of. Uh, magnifier glass your way down to the yeah, bottom yeah. right corner. But um, are you a football fan? I'm not. So necessarily it, in the NFL draft, right? They call the very last guy who's picked mm-hmm. Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> That's like you know. If I ever put out like a best of of my early Mr. Stuff, Irrelevant, Mr. Irrelevant, that could be like a Nick Lowe compilation <laughs> or something. Be, yeah. So but, all right, so they hit you up. So they the last person on the list. Yeah, and I was thinking to myself, if this is going to be like the hopscotch thing, I kind of don't want to go up there with just myself so i got i quickly got a band together out of people that i've never really played with before uh did so you know them or was it like a craigslist knew, thing so i knew justin justin ellis who's in happy abandoned yep. and like a billion other bands in the area um we had played before once uh but nothing it was just sort of last minute we did a show at local 506 where he was drumming for me mm-hmm. so i knew i wanted him as my drummer and he recommended owen fitzgerald who is in Second Husband and currently uh, plays in Seagulls. Okay. Um, Owen Fitzgerald is like the most like 19th century novelist name I've ever it's heard. It's a fantastic name. <laughs> He's a fantastic dude. Um, so we did a few days of rehearsal, and we played at the Poor House opening for Diet Sig. And, who uh, I think are coming through here. That's awesome. In the, April. You're going to love those guys. Cool. Um, I heard their new record um, is tremendous. That's what I hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was Diet Sig, uh, No One Mind, who uh-huh. I also like, and the Dinwiddies. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. So at least I can put that I opened for the Dinwiddies on my resume. It's a resume builder. Um, and we played there, and people seemed to like it. Mm-hmm. So I decided to keep playing shows with a band. Because um, you were just, I mean, you were straight up guy with a guitar yeah for for, for a years long, for a long time i was doing bit guy with a guitar shit since uh since i kind of started my first show i think was in 2011 or 2012 wow and it's four years of that and then deciding to it just i think it was a mixture between the right people and mm-hmm. the right time mm-hmm. and the sort of you know when you're working a deadline mm-hmm. everything seems to sort of all together. Oh yeah. So hopscotch was just sort of like, hmm, I should probably put some pressure on myself to actually play with people. It's funny you say that because so I cut a record in November, mm-hmm. a solo record, and I actually just hit up hopscotch, and I said, you know, I was like, listen, I know this is a weird request, mm-hmm. <laughs> as someone who doesn't have any music I could send you. Right. Here's my old band. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would love to play. Sight unseen. I've done it last. You know, we've done it in the past. We played hopscotch officially and unofficially. Yeah. I can have people vouch that I'm pretty good. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. You, but you but show up with a piece of paper that says, yeah, this guy's all right. From- right, right. Signed, yeah, signed <laughs> Stephen Judge. But but the point is that the reason I did it is because it's that exact, you know, I want a deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, want, I need a show to kind of, because otherwise I'll never put a band together. Exactly. You know, I'll just kind of sit around. So if I have something. So anyway, um, so you, all right. So wait, let's go. Let's go back. We're kind of jumping around. We're jumping way. <laughs> we're, we're jumping to like like last week. Yeah. Tell me about, you know, what 
how'd you get into playing music? How'd you get into writing songs? I've been writing songs since I was in middle school. How old are you? I'm 25. I will be 25 in a couple weeks. What day? Uh, March 6th. Okay. Um, Emily's birthday is the 21st. Oh, okay. Yeah. This so, is a special year for us because I've never seen her on our birthday. Really? Thanks to South by Southwest. <laughs> and this year I'll be here. That's great. For the first time ever since I've known her. Uh, okay, so... So I've been writing since middle school. Uh, just songs and really didn't have the talent to really play them back then because you're in middle school. You really mm-hmm. don't know what you're doing. And I actually really wanted to go into film uh, growing up. But then that just sort of petered off. Right. Um, As film usually does. With yeah, people. exactly. I had the same exact situation. <laughs> Took a tour of the North Carolina School of the Arts and was like, yeah, this is all right. It's not really what I want to do. Right. But you're 13, so you don't know any better. Right. <laughs> Um, so I started writing since I was middle school and started recording since high school. And that, when I say recording since high school, I mean, I had garage band and I was just messing around with loops mm-hmm. at home and like effects and everything. And, uh, used when I finally started doing things with like my own voice and guitar and everything, I got this $40 like guitar chord USB thing that I think I still have but doesn't work anymore. Okay. And just started using that. And I, for almost half of my recording stuff since then, that's pretty much what I've used to record. So it it plugs right into your... Yeah, so it's like like the input for a normal like guitar cable. Uh And then at the very end of it is a USB dongle. And you just plug it right in. Okay. So you don't need like an interface. Nope. Wow. Okay. I've been and and that's how and that's why all of my stuff sounds like it does because one hundred percent on the cheap. Okay. <laughs> so, were you ever? I mean, did you? How'd you learn how to play the guitar? Like, were you? Were you? Were you always just writing songs? I was always writing songs, and then when I was about eleven or twelve, I started taking. Uh, lessons from a guy named Walt and Fuquay. Yeah, I took lessons for about a year. And now it then, should be noted, people listening, yeah. that Fuquay is a town. Fuquay Verena is a town. Yeah, his name isn't Walt and Fuquay. <laughs> I mean, Walt and Fuquay was Walt, another. Walt and Fuquay is a beautiful old time name. Walt and Fuquay is the uh, he's the benefactor of Owen's Fitz- <laughs> Owen Fitzgerald. He's the patron. Uh, and the reason why Owen was able to write the great American novel. He's, he's the reason why Owen can eat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Walton Fitz, what's his name? Walton Fitzpatrick? Wal- Walton Fitzpatrick. <laughs> so, all right. So you, so you took lessons from Walt in Fuquay. Yes. Um, for about a year. And then since then, um, I just started teaching myself stuff just by listening to it, playing, trying to copy what I was hearing. Uh, I was listening to a lot of... Uh, R.E.M. and Dire Straits and uh, uh, Flaming Lips, especially. You know, got a big Flaming Lips oh, poster there right behind is. you. Yeah. yeah, there it is. A beautiful, beautiful art. Yeah. Um, and so, so were you like just sitting around? And at that point, were you like you didn't? Was it because you couldn't find people to play with that you didn't feel like you were good enough to play with people? Not really. I mean, there's tons of rock and roll stories that are just like and then I saw the light right. and it came down and it inspired me it really just was a really natural uh, thing out of boredom right. I was sick one day at, at high school and 
I was at home and I was messing around with GarageBand and that's when I started recording. Right. Um, and I just kept doing it for myself mm-hmm. for a few years, actually. Mm-hmm. So, and one of the one of the things that you're kind of known for is how prolific you are. <laughs> I guess you could say. I mean, how many albums? How God. many? Well, how many? How many releases do you have on, ba- oh, on Bandcamp? Jesus, I'm gonna. There's a number. There's a specific number, and I think if you go to the website, you can actually. Look up the number. Um, not counting, just counting everything. Everything. It's in like the 60s. And how long have you been doing this? I've been doing this. I've been putting things on Bandcamp Bank since uh, uh, 2010, 2011. Okay. So about 10, 10, 10 releases a year. Average, yeah. Average. Yeah. How many of those would you say are full albums? Um, I want to say 17 or 18. Okay. I've completely lost count. And your albums, quote unquote, the ones that are more... Because you have a lot of stuff that's just you and a guitar. Yeah. But are the albums more full band? The albums are more full band uh, mindset, yeah. Yeah. Um, Program drums, drum loops, weird percussion around the house, piano, organs. I had a fun machine organ for a minute Okay. that my old roommates threw away, like on the side of the road because they were dicks when I moved. But to be fair, I kind of moved under... uh, not the best circumstances. Did you just leave. I just fucking left. Sorry. That, no, that was a that was a terrible thing I did, and I was g- goaded into doing it by my ex, mm. and who I'm still convinced that he made up the whole thing where they were talking shit about us behind our back. So that's why we left, and it was I'm doing scare quotes right now. Uh. Perfectly legal to just leave. <laughs> that's like some that's some full blown like I'm in my early twenties and I've never I've never like lived exactly. in an apartment before. Let's just go. I'm just going, dude. Fuck it. Um like brought the car up <laughs> on a day that we know that they would be gone and just ghosted. You beat the rent. No big deal. So how are those guys? You still talk to them? Nope. <laughs> I think I, I think I'm considering maybe reaching out to them to just be like Hey, how are you? Yeah. That was a really fucked up thing I did. Yeah. And I'm really sorry. And hopefully they'd be all right with it. But I I don't know. I right. don't know where they are. Right. Oh, you don't know you don't actually don't know where nope. they are. Nope. Well, if they're listening, they're probably not. I'm very sorry. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> um I want that organ back. I w- no, I really do want that organ back. I bought it. Uh you know where the colony theater is in Raleigh? Yeah. Uh, there's my phone buzzing. Um it's like that. That it's weird. Uh, what's that area called? Like five, five, five points, forks, five six forks, forks, six forks, six forks, six forks roads. Yes. there was an old theater. I think it's closed now. Called the Colony Theater. It was in the shopping center of a Food Lion, and they used to do like some really good indie screenings. So wait, is this festival. at? Was this at Six Forks? Am I thinking of something else? I think I, it was on like Six Forks Road. Okay, or something. okay, okay. Um, and there was this uh, beautiful uh, Lowry electric fun machine organ that yeah. had like a really cool drum machine in it and it was gorgeous and one day they were just sitting there collecting dust so i just emailed the owner can i buy this from you and he said yeah and that's the story of how i got the fun machine but then it ended up on the side of the then road. i ended up on the side of the road and i never saw it again <laughs> it's on one album it's on yeah it's on two albums of mine okay and then it's gone and then it's gone yeah so you so you're have you recorded with other people? I have. Um, to what extent? To what um, I 
I've recorded a few albums with a friend of mine, uh, Andrew Loudon, who lives in uh, Brooklyn. Okay. Um, he's done a lot of drums and saxophone work for me. Okay. Um, Does he cut you, or did you send him tracks? You so him? for a while, what we, what we would do is I would send him what I had, and mm-hmm. he would drum or play sax or both over it, and then he'd send it back to me. Are you recording on a click, or is he just good? He's just really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh and then uh, this past fall, I went up to Brooklyn to record with him an album that kind of became ill-fated. Mm-hmm. Um, the recording sessions were great. We knocked out all the songs in a couple days, but editing it is just proven to be just a pain in the ass. I'd Wh- like to get back to it and do something with it one day. Why is it such a pain in the ass? I don't. It, there's. I think it's a lot to do with my voice and. I don't know. I think when I know that I'm being recorded, not in this case because I'm just talking, but when I'm singing mm-hmm. with no like mic in front of me, no recording in front of me, I think I'm better. But once I press record, just something happens to my voice where it just sort of squeezes mm-hmm. and gets worse. So I think a lot of it has to do with just my singing and my playing because I wasn't using my guitar either. Right. Which is weird. Um, but I'm definitely interested in those songs because they were good songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to do something with them eventually. So No, that's, I mean, that's the funny thing, the shitty thing, the weird thing about recording too is you'll be in such a groove and then as soon as somebody hits record, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what it is. It happens to so many people. Yeah. And the people who can avoid it, I mean, you know, or, or, or work past it, props to them. I mean, those are pros. But um, so, all right, so so you're recording at home. Yeah. Other than this foray into Brooklyn. Right. How was that? How's Brooklyn? Brooklyn was great. We actually recorded everything at his parents' house in upstate New York, okay. close to Jersey. Um, and then few days after that we went back to brooklyn and i just we just walked around and i enjoyed it i loved it a lot yeah i was vindicated uh maybe not vindicated is the right word validated mm-hmm. because for uh the longest time i put ketchup on my eggs mm-hmm. and people gave me shit about it Fuck like f- like family and relatives and everything would give me shit for it so i get a ham and egg bagel yeah at this great uh breakfast place uh just like this little diner on a corner in brooklyn and they have homemade ketchup just in the sandwich and it's like this is perfect no that's normal this is life i don't do it but it's fucking normal (laughs) to put eggs on ketchup on your eggs exactly thank you it's perfectly acceptable i think that might be like a northeastern thing maybe because everybody i know puts i do hot sauce I i haven't done hot sauce in a while a guy that i went out with for a very short time put mustard on his eggs. That's just fucking gross. That's just weird. <laughs> I, I can't abide that. So, all right. So you're recording home, uh, and you're uh, you're putting out these albums or these releases, yeah. sixty plus releases yeah. in, in the last six years. How? So, take me through the process of, you know, do you start, you know, so I have to assume that you're constantly writing songs. Pretty much, yeah. So, how do you? I mean, do albums come together thematically? Is it time? Is it when you... It's um, how I usually plan everything before a single note is recorded. Okay. Um, the names of the songs, the amount of songs, what they're all going to be about, um, the tone of the album and the lyrics and everything. 
All the lyrics are written before the album's recorded, and okay. the idea and the sound is usually planned before any of that's done, too. Okay. So you're always, you're writing lyrics, and then you're fitting the music around it. Exactly. I, I know my limitations as a musician. I know I'm more of a lyrics guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I am very just... I I... I consider I've gotten to the point in my life where I've learned how to brag correctly. Um, uh, I consider myself to be a good musician on a lot of things, and but I know my limits. Right. But I do consider myself to be better at lyrics than the music. Right. Yeah. So, so then what? Co- what comes after the lyrics? After the lyrics, I usually mess around with them. I improvise a bit and sort of create a song around the lyrics. Right. Um. And then I record the song quickly. I yeah. never like to do too many takes because of, I've learned from the past that I just if I just keep hammering that thing, mm-hmm. it's never it's just gonna come out bad, and I'll just end up hating mm-hmm. the song. Totally. Yeah. Um, so all right, so you're you've got the album. Yeah. You have the concept. Mm-hmm. Then you record it. Mm-hmm. Then what? I mean, you mix it. Obviously, you do that all yourself. Mm-hmm. Is that something? Because that's a skill that people don't realize. It's not. I mean, it is something you learn, right? But it's also something that you, you, you know, you can. The mechanics of it, yeah, you can get really good at just by doing it, right? You know, and I've worked with a lot of people who are they they have good ideas, but they have good you know they know how to get good sounds. But then I've worked with people who really know how to how to engineer, right? And watching those people work is like. You it's know. like it's like Mozart. It's crazy. Yeah. The last guy I was telling one of our other guests, the the guy we cut our last record with. I mean, he literally cuts while you're tracking. That's that's great. So he's in there fucking fucking around with what, I don't even know what. He knows he's no he knows what works at the exact time. Right, which is crazy. Which is crazy. So you're mixing it all yourself. And then so how do you know when it's done? I mean, it's hard to is it hard to take a step back and self-reflect is it is it you know how do you it's sometimes difficult for me to self-reflect and sit back um this is a problem that has been brought to my attention many times is that once an album is done it is within days that i'll just put it up online and then move on to the next one which there's something to be said about that i guess but there's my biggest flaw when it comes to like the whole like professional musician in the modern era um, is I don't know how to market myself and I don't know how to advertise because it is just, here's the album. Hope you like it. See see you next time. Most artists don't. You know, most artists aren't marketing people. (laughs) That's why most marketing people don't make records. You know, that's why they're (laughs) fucking marketing people. That's why the majority of people who I've ever worked with at record labels... Don't have a goddamn musical bone in their bodies. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd be playing in bands. Exactly, but I think there's something to be said for people who can work with creative types who are sort of stunted professionally, mm-hmm. and to uh, to work with them. I think there is definitely a skill, and I think that empathy should be given to them because if musicians, if every musician, like popular musician, were in charge of their marketing, no mm. one would be any good at what they do. Totally. And no one would get heard. Sure. Because I'm terrible at it. Right. I know I know musicians, great musicians, uh, local musicians who are much better at it than me, and I've yet to figure it out. Well, 
it's I mean, as someone who's worked in record labels for as long as I have, it's if somebody talks to me about uses the term rollout strategy to me one more time, I'm gonna fucking tear my eyes out. But but there's some truth to it. There's too. total there's that, total truth the to problem. it. That's the problem. But what I think what what is kind of admirable about what you do and the way that you do it is is I'm very much the same. You and I have a lot of similarities when it comes to approaching uh, songwriting and, and you know, and I'm very much like if you don't get it in the first three takes, you're probably not going to get it. Right. And it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're recording, I feel, and you know, I'm sure there are millions of people out there who would tell me I'm wrong, but when you're recording, you know, diminishing returns happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. Not to mention something that drives me crazy and you know i feel like it's something that maybe you have you know circumnavigated i guess circumvented i guess would be the mm-hmm. right word uh is you know when we're sitting there in the studio and we're arguing about the fucking tiniest stupidest fucking detail right. the most insignificant and it's and it and it comes from everything from i've, I've seen that wilco documentary <laughs> oh yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly you know and you're talking about you know you're talking about a touch of fucking reverb. And my question is always, always goes back to, is this argument we're having going to make or break this record? Right. No. And the answer is always no. Unless it's a major thing. Like, should we start the song? Should we start the album here? You know, when it comes to sequencing, you know, I think it's what, but, but people get so mired in these stupid fucking details. You start to wonder if it's an actually, you start to wonder if the problem is actually with the song and it's more just the person. Exactly. Trying to like push their weight around or something. Exactly. And it's it's not what's going to make this album good mm-hmm. is whether or not the songs are good. We're going to live or die on this, on the tempo being off by one beat. No, it's 168. <laughs> no, it's 170, man. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the back like, who gives a fuck, dude? Is the song any good? Because if the song's not good, it could be fucking four thousand BPM. Or, exactly. You know, and, and and I think that a lot of people, you know, especially, and this is coming from someone who's been extremely unsuccessful as a musician, but especially less successful musicians, they they get bogged down in that. And I think it's kind of a way, maybe, to like flex your muscle. Yeah. To have your voice heard or whatever. I don't know what the reason is, but I, I just think there should be more reed organ on this track. I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and somebody once said something to me perfectly and it, and it kind of summed everything up for me. And, and and he said, you know, the most important thing doesn't happen behind the microphone. It happens in front of the microphone. So you're sitting in there, you're mixing. And, you know, to be completely crass, like you can only polish a turd so much. <laughs> so if you don't write a great song and give a great performance in, in, in the studio, whatever right. your quote unquote studio is, um, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. So and I think what you do is and I, you, you telling me that you're terrible at self-promotion and self-marketing. I, I'm assuming this is not intentional, but just putting it out there, you know, and, and just kind of getting stuff out and saying, like, hey, man, like, here's the album. It is what it is. Kind of take it or leave it, you know. I dig it. Um, do people? So that's my rant. Do people? Um, do you find your fans and stuff keeping up? Like, is it is it difficult to kind of maintain? Sorry, my buddy got 
No. That's all right. Fired today, so. Oh, shit. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> Is it difficult to maintain uh, people's attention? Uh, you know, we live in such a hyper, oversaturated world. Right. Maybe it's a good thing that you're putting out music at such a fren- frenetic clip. Maybe. I've fought with myself. I've gone back and forth on that a bunch. Yeah. Like a bunch of just like, no, you should take your time. Well, hold on. It's better if we just get it out now. Or right. Blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. It's re- it's it's something that I've always had an issue with, which is determining. Because I feel like if I sit on it longer, it's I'm just going to do nothing but find fault in it. Sure. So it's better to just get it out and see what people think. Do you ever put it uh, put it in the drawer, so to speak? Um, there's a few things that I've put in the, in the drawer, so to speak. Yeah. Just stuff that, like whole albums that I've recorded. And like, uh, again, a lot of the stuff I recorded in Brooklyn right. are just sort of like pushed to the side for right now because it doesn't feel right or it didn't come out right. Do you, do you ignore that stuff like totally? It's always in the back of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't listen to it. Sometimes there's some stuff of mine that's out there that anyone can listen to right now that I do not never I never want to think about right. ever again just yeah. because it came out so terrible. But you were so wrapped up in it at the time and you just exactly. put it out and threw exactly. it out there. And now with the internet, things live forever. Exactly. <laughs> You'll have to change your name if you ever want to um. So But I but I think that's a good thing because I think that if you go back and listen to the very first thing I put out and listen to what I am now, um, I think you can see changes. I think you can definitely see growth. I've went back and listened. But at the same time, I've also went back and listened to some stuff early on. Right. And I'm like, why am I not doing that now? Yeah. Why is it not this sort of carefree and this weird sounding now? Yeah. And I think the thing is just the little modicum of exposure that I've gotten right. has sort of made me a little afraid uh-huh. with a lot of my performing. Well, there's expectation. Exactly. Whatever it is. Yeah. No, it's... And uh, I think it's probably also... And you can tell me if I'm totally off base, but because, again, I've dealt with the same thing. It's like the grass always being greener. Mm-hmm. So when we first started out, all I wanted to do was have a big studio recording with horns and fucking, you know. And we got we got to that point, and all I wanted to do was record the lo-fi seven inches that I started out with. Right. You know, so it's like... Well, which is it? Right. And in the same way, it's like we worked towards this thing, but then when we got there, and I'm I'm super proud of the product we have, but at the same time, it was like, man, I wish I could just go in my bathroom and not have to worry about some sort of record label rollout plan and just blow out a fucking seven inch in my bathroom that sounds like shit. Yeah. You know? So, so, but people are, people are, tur- you know, tuned in. They're, 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 you're gaining more fans than you're losing. Right. <laughs> I say, to be completely... Uh, it's hard to lose what wasn't there. Well, but but people are definitely paying attention. Yeah. You know, and especially with the Hopscotch thing. It's such thing. a fucking foreign thing to me. Right. That people are paying attention like, why? Right, right. Because you're not doing this for anybody. You're. This is just something that you it's, have to it's do. It's really just doing it for myself, I think. I think what it all boils down to, I mean, I look at all these records around here, and I think what it all boils down to is ego thing, just to say, well, because it's there. Right. And I just do it because I want to. Right. 
Right. Have you cut any records? Have you made CDs? Have you? I've made CDs of the last one, Night Freedom. Okay. Um, that's the first, and I've made CDRs of like previous albums or anything. And do you? I mean, do you have ambition to do that? Is that? Yeah, I'm interested in a physical product. I do think that people still care about those sort of things. As someone who works in a record store. As someone who works at a record store, but at the same time, I'm also young, and I see the limitations of physical media and i also see the limitations of digital media right. but i am sort of as someone who does work in a record store i am a man without a country right. it really just depends on the day with me right. what i listen to and i explain and i was talking to a customer about this a few days ago where it's like some days i'll be sitting at home and i'll listen to a tape or vinyl or mm-hmm. a cd or digital it really just depends on the mood right. and I love that tapes are coming back yeah. in a big way. And it's w- weird to me, but it also kind of makes sense because kids love them because they're cheap. Right. And they're portable and they're kitschy. And I've always loved tapes. And you could turn them around. Exactly. I mean, if you're a musician, an artist who wants to get something out, uh, on our last record, I think we had to deliver Masters seven months before the record came mm-hmm. out. You know, a tape, we did a tape, we had it done in a couple of weeks. That's great. And as long as you can include a download code, because a lot of kids who are buying records, kids these days, a lot of kids who are buying records aren't listening to them. Right. You know, not a lot of kids, but there are a faction of kids and adults as well. Yeah. Who buy it. I, I would I would go on record saying that mostly adults. Yeah. They yeah. buy it, they rip the download, and yeah. they listen to another iPod. Mm-hmm. You know, um, which I do as well. I mean, we what? listen to a lot of records just because of where my record player is in my house. It's Weird thing for me is that I've been, I have never really taken advantage of the download. Uh, yeah, I know a lot of people like that. Like, I buy it and the download just sort of sits, it just sits in there. Sits in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could sell them. Yeah. Sell them for a buck. <laughs> sell them on Craigslist. Sell a JPEG of, yeah. of the picture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, do you feel like then because of that, like, you know, and people have been, as much as people have been heralding the death of rock and roll, which is whatever. Um, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> but the the you know the album as a format, you know, I mean, what's your what's your because you have a lot of stuff on yeah. Bandcamp that's mm-hmm. just a song, yeah, an EP, yeah. I mean, is it impossible to hold someone's attention for forty eight minutes? I think there's or some, 38, if you ask me, which yeah. is the perfect album length. For me, it is between, like, perfect normal album length is between 38 and 42. Yeah. That's me. Exactly. Um, so 40. Yeah. <laughs> so you uh, mean 40. Yeah, yes, I mean 40. <laughs> I feel like there's a knife being held in my throat. So you mean 40, right? It's 40. Market 40. Um, I think there's something to be said for people young folks and just really anyone these days that can hold someone's attention. And by the way, I do think that the whole attention span argument is kind of ridiculous because I really, because I do see kids buying albums Mm -hmm. and I do see kids uh, buying CDs and everything. I do think kids are interested in, you know, because of the economy. I do think that kids are interested for more bang for your buck. And I do think that there is, really less interest these days is just from what I see in individual songs. So, but at the same time, I do think there's something to be said for someone who can keep someone's attention on, on their record for 40 minutes, because 
in my opinion, there's nothing worse than a CD that's just ten songs. We record. We were in the studio for four weeks and re-recorded thirty songs and whittled it down to yeah. ten. And there's just something so passive and lazy to me about that. I think what I really like is the people that go in with an idea and go in with. Yeah, it could be eight songs, could be ten songs, but they all mean something. Right. And there's no, there's no songs there just because there can be songs there. Yeah. So I really do think that the album as a concept is very important and still is important. And I don't think it's really gone up or down in either way. I think there will always be people who are interested in listening to like the theme or the story behind an album. Right. Or I could just be completely wrong. Well, I think that you're you're right, but you're also dealing with a very specific percentage of the population right. who shop at record stores. Right. Where you work. Exactly. So those are the people that you see. Right. But then I also th- see things like I think of the best like overall albums right. that have come out in the past few years and they've also sold really well. Like right. Uh, the last Sturgill Simpson album, uh, Lemonade by Beyonce, uh, To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar, maybe the best rap album in the decade. Right. Um, full albums, and I think they work better as full albums than yeah. the individual song. So I think the interest is there. I think people are interested in an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just playlisting. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I do playlisting sure. too, but I don't. But I pay attention to the songs. Right. I pay attention to how they flow with each other. Right. And I think people care about that. And I think people find a playlist or an album that flows better than just being attacked by 10 songs and then it's over. Right. Yeah. Right. Or the ones that, you know, when you get to a bigger scale where it's, you know, two jams and eight filler. Right. Which is, again, a whole other podcast. <laughs> do you, I mean, do you take that into consideration when you're writing an album versus when you're writing a song? Because you said you know, right. going into it, you know this is going to be an album. Yeah. Versus if you're just writing a tune that you know is going to be a, a single, let's say. Or just something along the road. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, an ex of mine told me that... Uh, and I, it was intended as a complaint, mm-hmm. but I'm starting to take it more as a compliment. Mm-hmm. He said to me, you write, you record all of your songs and they all sound like they're like the last song on the album. Okay. And for a while I started thinking, well, so wait, he meant it as an insult. I think he meant it as an insult because the, he was, I think he was talking about just how there wasn't really any flow to like, any of my stuff, it was all just like big, 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 big. Right. Um, but then I started thinking of that as a compliment. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I want it all to be like a good, I want it all to sound big. I <laughs> want it all to sound good. I don't want anyone to be tired listening to any of my songs. Right. I want them all to exist in their own little universe and fuck you. Right. <laughs> and lastly, and Go lastly, fuck yourself. Yes. Do you, um, so do you, is there, I mean, what do you write about? If you have, I mean, do you, well, well before we get into that, let me ask you, do you not put anything out? Yeah. Is Believe there, it or not. You, <laughs> um, so you're, so that, so working and writing songs is pretty much all you do. Yeah. 
Right. So how... Well, when you put it like that, wow, what an existence. It's fun, right? (laughs) Listen, I'm in the same... Well, not quite the same boat, but pretty fucking close to the same I wake up, I work, I write songs, I go right back to sleep. Why go out when you could be doing work? (laughs) Exactly. You know? There was a time several years ago when I was just... I stopped going out Mm -hmm. for going out's sake because I was like... Well, this is a fucking waste of time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's so much work to be done that I need to go get home. (laughs) But so, so how do you kind of decide what what's going to be out in the world and what isn't? Um, personal opinion, personal quality. Um, if I don't think it's good enough to be out in the world, I won't put it out. But you record it. Yeah, I'll record it. Definitely, because I'm always in the mood to record something. Right. And I'll listen back on it and think about it and mull it over for a day or so, and I'll think, this isn't good enough. Yeah. So what do you, I mean, what do you, what I was going to ask earlier is, is there a common thread, Do you or are there common threads Yeah. Um, that go through everything? Is it, you know, what, tell me about that. Is it... Um, or I'm, not, if it's not something you want to talk about. No, no, I'm always good for uh, just... <laughs> Brutal honesty. Yeah, well, the problem, I think the thing is, is that my grandmother once said, I like your music, but I never know what you're singing about. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, maybe you shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a reason. That's by, <laughs> by design, Grandma. Um, I grew up on uh, Leonard Cohen, mm-hmm. Nick Cave, and... Nina Simone and folks like that who could write a song pretty much about anything and sell it to you like they were reading from the Bible. Right. Um, Especially Leonard Cohen. Right. Um, I've liked the... And I'm also a big fan of uh, uh, Harvey Pekar Uh of uh, American Splendor fame who saw this whole world of comic books and reali- and even graphic novels at the time, and realizing all of this stuff is just sort of masking something much more important. So he just started writing his day or writing stories that his friends would tell him because in the end they were much more interesting and relatable than anything that you could make up. Right. So that's the kind of stuff I'm into. Um, for a while when I first started out, I, s- I was writing about like what we all start writing about, ghosts and demons and... Uh, the end of the world and everything, but right. there's only so much you can write about that. So I started delving into the idea of community mm-hmm. and feeling left out in something that you feel like you should uh, have a part in. Um, the music community, the LGBT community, the uh, uh, autism spectrum community, um, these are things that I just am obsessed with writing about the different sides and the infighting and everything. Right. Um, there's a song that I wrote called Hungry Months, which we end pretty much all our sets with. Um, very proud of that song. Um, I wrote that song going through a breakup not broken up yet, but thinking about what life would be like once I'm single. And, and knowing it was... Knowing it was coming. Knowing it was coming. Knowing it was coming and sort of like thinking of a plan to myself of, well, what's single life going to be like now? <laughs> right. um, More time to write songs. Exactly. But the song <laughs> but the song is basically about... It's a very simple concept of just 
going to a bar and meeting someone. Right. But it's a it's I want to say it's more than that, but it really isn't. But I wanted to write a really sort of big sounding song about just the minutia of you go out to a bar, you see guys, you try to talk to them, they they look away or they don't pay attention to you. You call up someone you were talking to, you meet them, you do things, you talk, you eat dinner and everything. And you think about the city that you're living in and you're thinking about the ability that you have and the privilege that it is that you went out and met someone and you didn't get beat up for doing it. And so that's what that lyric, uh, the sounds of the city and the gentle company of men is about. Okay. Um, I just, I'm just obsessed with writing about people and events that don't ever really get talked about. Right. And just ordinary things that, or things that I like heard on the news or like passing by someone, um, and points of view that never really get written about people with Asperger's. Like I have Asperger's, uh, people who have depression, uh, bipolar disorder, um, other artists, other musicians, the way, uh, LGBT people and women especially are treated in a, community that is supposed to be weird and cool and inclusive and everything. Um, Those are the things that interest me, Mm -hmm. just people and thinking. Mm -hmm. Well, on the first episode we did with with Kim from Lonelands, Mm -hmm. uh, and we had that same conversation, but it kind of revolved around punk rock. Mm -hmm. Do you want more water? I'm good right now. It's melting. It'll yeah. become more water. So we had that same conversation about punk rock yeah. and how we, it was supposed to be this thing that was so inclusive. But once you got inside, everything was so fucking compartmentalized mm-hmm. that, well, you were this kind of punk, so you couldn't hang out with these kinds of punks. Exactly. And these kind, and it seems like every, you know, sub strata of people has that kind of hierarchy you can't fucking win you can't win you can't win at all (laughs) which is bullshit because if you're talking about marginalized people for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. you know why i never understood and you could probably speak better to this because i'm a white heterosexual guy Mm -hmm. sorry about that it doesn't get much (laughs) it doesn't get much more you know majority than me yeah so like you know why why spend that time? Like you said, like why are we? Why aren't we banding together, being together? Why it's all we... high school. It's all middle school right. and high school. It is just all clubs and cliques and wanting to sound better or be better or write better, or just be better than someone else. Right. Because somebody was better than you. Exactly. Because me, the white heterosexual guy, was better than you, so you have to be better than somebody else. Right. It's interesting. It, it really is. And where, I mean, where do you feel like you, and, and that was just a uh, hypothetical. Right. I, <laughs> I'm fucking better than you, bro. I'm looking at these gold <laughs> records and it's like, yeah, he's not better than me. <laughs> Those are strategically placed. Yeah. <laughs> so why do you, <laughs> why do you, uh, listen, just because I have those doesn't mean I'm not, fu- doesn't mean I'm not fucking broke. I'm a man uh, of the people. That's right. <laughs> why, so, so where do you feel like you fall in? I mean, you're, you're, you know, or are you still trying to figure that out? Is that- I'm still trying to figure that out, honestly, because 
the past year has been so weird. <laughs> the, the past year is just just now. I'm at that point where people actually know who I am, mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. So that that I'm not used to that. Right. I'm not used to being in some semblance of a community, but I I still don't feel like, and I'm not asking for like pity or anything, but it's just a personal thing. I don't feel like I belong in a real sort of community or anything. It's just weird to me. Thank you. Sorry, Emily just busted up a... That's all right. It is important. She just ruined a really... (laughs) A really touching... We're having a breakthrough. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't feel like you belong to any community? I don't. Is that... But can that be advantageous? It allows you to write from a detached point of view, but at the same time, that kind of writing always irritates me. Right. Well, you also don't have to make anybody happy. Exactly. You can write whatever the fuck you want about it. That's the pros, but the cons is someone would argue with me, well, you don't really know what it's like to be blah, 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 blah. I don't, but I'm not necessarily writing about that. I'm just writing about what I see. Right, right. So, Um, go ahead. Uh, so yeah, I don't. I I grew up very closeted until I was twenty years old when I came out, right? Um, as queer or bisexual or whatever their name is now, I yeah. just go by queer because it's easier, right? Um, it's more encompassing. It's more encompassing. It's less limiting. Right. Um, and it also pisses some like old guard queers. No, because they finally off. understand gay, right? But queer is like a whole It's a whole new thing. <laughs> because it was so derogatory. But now it's like, no, like we we, we you're right, right, reclaiming right. that. Exactly. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That was our word for you fags. Like you're not allowed, you know. And I, I see it. And I see and I see, you know, meathead friends of mine that I grew up with. Yeah. And 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 that's why. It's because that's not it's not their word anymore. Exactly. And I love it. I think it's awesome. Yeah. You know, so all right, so go on. Well, I don't even in that community, I I grew up feeling very closeted. And when I came out when I was 20, I was like, this is a brave new world. Right. Everything's going to be great. And then I step into the community and then I realize, oh, there's jocks and nerds and shitheads and all just rude, awful people. And I think a lot of I'm going to go on a little rant. A lot, no, rant a lot of a lot of media. Yeah. Um <laughs> Um, a lot of pop, fake news. a lot fake of news, fake real news. news, massage truths, <laughs> um, a lot of pop culture. I think th- growing up, it got better. Mm. A lot of pop culture was very like, it's okay to be gay. It's okay to be queer because of people that, who will accept you. And that's very true. But I think what goes untalked about is they will tell you there are people outside of the community who will accept you. That's true, right. and that's a good thing to be told. But what never gets talked about is there are a lot of shitheads right. and a lot of infighting going on uh, in the LGBT community, and that's what interests me. Right. The fact that we should all just be banding together and we're just tearing each other apart. We're just being shitheads on the internet all day. Right. Well, if you think about it, uh, you know, and, and, and something that's kind of intrigued me for... You know, it, it, it's, you know, if you, in a lot of ways, I, I tend to think of life like a movie. Yeah. 
and where where is the movie? Like, when does the movie begin and when does it end? It's constant. It, well, that's the thing. But it but it, if it's a movie, it's not. The credits have to roll at some point. Do you gotta? Right. Do you, okay. The credits have to roll at some point. And for a lot of people, the credits roll. For a lot of people, you know, a lot of people who are closeted, mm-hmm. uh, and I've had friends who have dealt with this. The credits roll when they come out. Mm-hmm. But then what? Okay, great. Like, and like you said, like a lot of my friends who 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 went through that, you know, they they thought that it was going to be like, well, great, I could be exactly who I am, and this is going to be awesome, and it, and it is in yeah. a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, it's like, well, well, wait a minute, I didn't. I didn't know all this bullshit was going to happen. I think the story that gets told a lot is in movies and TV, um, and it is mostly music and uh, movies and TV. It's rarely in music, which I think is a shame. Um, I think what gets lost along the way is how it affects other people because mm-hmm. I th- that was a hard thing for me to learn. When what I do you mean like your family? My family and friends and everything, especially my family. When I came out... It, I kind of went through a second teenage rebellion where it was like, this is me now. Right. Deal, deal with it. This is this is me. Do you, you like come to, to dinner with like assless chaps and nothing else? <laughs> <on? I'm> like, <laughs> uh, I only I only do that at home by myself <laughs> yeah, yeah. eating pizza rolls. Yeah, that's fine. And assless chaps. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, but um, my mom and I fought a lot. Right. Because... And I didn't get it back then, but I get it now. I had it in my head that this is the how it's supposed to be. I was taught when you come out, it's you right. coming out. And it's you dealing with all this. And you are important. And right. your happiness is important. And that's a lie. That's a fucking lie. And what's important is the people around you. Right. And when I came out, my mom and I fought all the time. And it lasted for years. And I think we're only now at the point where it's okay between us. But I needed... And empathy is difficult with me. Again, the Asperger's thing, whatever. Um, It was very hard for me to understand that it wasn't just her son coming out of the closet. It was the fact that now... She would have to learn an entirely different world, right? Whether she wanted to or not, that she had through no fault of her own, right? And through no trying to avoid it, she had no experience in. It's like learning a whole nother language at gunpoint, right? And that I think is a narrative that isn't talked about a lot. And like, where is the line? What can I say? What, yeah. What can we talk about? What exactly. can't we talk about? Exactly. What, you know, because, uh, and again, as some, somebody who went through this with, with you know, not a lot of friends, but with friends, mm-hmm. that was my biggest hurdle was like, well, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So like, what can I, can I do? Can I say that? Like, can you do this? Can you, can we like, so, and I'm, I don't want to be like the one like, well, I was very burdened by your coming out, you right. know? but at the same time, like it's, it's it, you're, it's a whole new thing. Right. And I think people need to realize, especially queer people and LGBT people need to realize that it's not a one-way street. Right. There are definitely... Look, if you come out... This is this is me giving advice now. Jesus Christ. No, no one should ever listen to my advice. <laughs> but here's some advice. Um, if you come out and the person's immediate reaction is, fuck you, even if it's a family member or anything, you have every right to 
just cut them out of your life mm. if you can and if you're safe and able to. It's a friend or a fam uh, family member or a coworker or anything. If they're fuck you, if they act like shit to you because you come out, or if they act completely different towards you and in, in a negative or patriot uh, patronizing way towards you when you come out, right. you have every right to cut them out of your life. Right. However, having said that, if you come out and it's difficult, but they will tell you it's difficult for me, but I love you. Mm you have to understand that they are going through so much right now right. that it's they can't even process it. And it does take time. And it does... There are people who are, are lucky enough where it's an instant... You come out to your parents and it's like, oh, yeah, I know, it's totally fine. Right. That's very lucky. And if that has happened, then God bless you. Work. But... Um, a lot of folks, it's a very difficult. Yeah. And I think that is a narrative and a story that doesn't get talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to talk about just the people surrounding it. Because, right. like I said, it's not a one-way street. It happens to everyone you know. Mm -hmm. Because everything changes. Mm -hmm. Was it... Uh, what... Was it difficult when you when you came out to your parents? Was it? I mean, was it? What you know? Obviously, I was terrified. Yeah, I was absolutely terrified. Were they cool? They just. So what happened is I went to a sh uh, I was currently seeing someone to be sort of like a shrink, but not a shrink mm -hmm. to be uh, tested for Asperger's mm -hmm. and depression and everything. And I had asked the shrink if she would be present uh, there. Mm. Uh, when I came out to my parents. And I was so terrified, I took a separate car to the office. Because mm. I didn't, I honestly had no idea what was going to happen. Well, maybe they'll excommunicate you. Exactly. You don't know. <laughs> um, and I finally came out, and it was sort of like very tearful, but in a good way. Sure. Just sort of like a uh, mm -hmm. sort of thing. And we hugged and everything was okay and that day was all right. But then that's when, you know, I was like, well, now you're going to have to deal with this right. uh, sort of thing. Happened. Well, that's the thing. That's when you're in there with the doctor and you come out to your parents, that's when the credits roll. Mm -hmm. But then what happens after? Exactly. <laughs> A lot of arguing. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you have brothers and sisters? I have, a, I have an older sister. Okay. Yeah. She was cool? Yeah. So I... <laughs> I came out to her a couple of years before I came out to my parents. Oh, wow. And the day before, <laughs> she'll kill me for telling this, uh, the day before I texted her saying that I'm going to come out to mom and dad. I'm letting you know in case anything happens. And she flat out told me, I don't think it's a good idea. So when I told my parents that I told her, and she said, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> were, were, they, were they pissed that she knew for three years? I think, they, I think they were pissed that she told me not to tell them. Right, right, right. But that was when, that was when you actually did. Yeah. Wow. So, so now, how does all this stuff, or maybe it doesn't, does, you know, you said before, I mean, you're, you're you know, you, something that you're interested in, you know, musically is telling those stories, but how does, how does, how do those, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this because we're, we're at an hour and yeah. this is a fucking awesome conversation, but, um, but I want to get to the seven seemingly random questions, which sure. is the most important part of this podcast. Right. But how do, how do those things kind of 
trickle down into the music that you make other than, you know, sure. Like you want to acknowledge those conversations mm-hmm. kind of on a larger scale, but, but you personally, I mean, do you address that stuff in your music? Yeah, I do address feeling sort of alone and looking for anything to cling on to. Um, there's a song off the uh, mini album EP, whatever it is, Tardigrade that I just put out. Mm-hmm. It's the last song in the album uh, called War France. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that song for uh Carl from Museum Mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of Carl, and I'm a big fan of Museum Mouth. Uh, when I found out about them, that there is this great queer punk rock group from Wilmington, I'm like, what? I didn't know you existed. Right, this right, is right. amazing. This is like revolutionary, and I love them. And but I wrote the song from the point of view, I guess, just from my point of view, talking to someone like that, like. There's like the the chorus and choruses and quotes um, of the song is what do you call what you do for a living? Right. Because it's this whole new thing and it's this great thing when you find someone that is like you or that you can relate to. Mm-hmm. It almost becomes like, especially if in using your word, a marginalized group of people. Um, is that my word? I think that is the word you use. It's a word I use, but I'm not <laughs> taking ownership over that. Um, if you're in a group of people that isn't represented a lot, right. and you find someone like that that you relate to, there's this lizard brain part of you that just wants to cling on to them mm-hmm. and just be like, never go away, because it's like what you do is really important. Right. And what and what they do is very important. and. They're fucking opening for Against Me wow. in March, which wow. is great. That's awesome. Um, yeah, they had a great year. Oh, I love them. Uh, but yeah, that stuff does feed feed into a lot of personal things. Feed into the songs, just feeling out of place and trying to sort of uh, hopscotch your way through different communities and meeting different people and their experiences and everything. Someone said what I did was more like journalism than lyric writing. And I guess it's true mm-hmm. um, because I'm not really that all concerned in writing about myself anymore. Just right. like weird stories and stories that just don't get told a lot. Right. And that's, you know, that's, you, you know, you mentioned Leonard Cohen, I mean, Nina Simone. Yeah. Uh, there's somebody else you mentioned. Nick that. Cave. Nick Cave. Yeah. I mean, these are people telling grand stories. Yeah. You know, uh, Tom Waits is another one. You yeah, know? Like, of course. They're not, they're not telling you about, you know, what happened to them last Thursday night. Love songs, almost unless they're, unless I can tell it's sincere. Love songs just thrown on an album piss me off at no end. <laughs> like, who cares? Right, right. Um, all right, cool. So, where can people find your music? People can find my music currently at alrigs.bandcamp.com. Two G's. Uh, yeah. A-L-R-I-G-G-S. Yeah, and I'm also, I've got a few stuff on Spotify and iTunes if you just search Alrigs. Cool. Um, any shows coming up? Yeah. Um, this will probably, let's say from mid-March on. <laughs> sure. Um, it is now uh, April, I mean, uh, February uh, 19th. 19th. Um, on March 10th, I will be opening for Pie Face Girls. Excellent. Uh, at the Pinhook. Okay. And on March 17th, I will be playing with a full band at the Cave for the, uh, 
announcement party of a To Be Heard booking, oh, which yeah. is a booking agency that my drummer Justin Ellis and Mark Connor, who mm-hmm. owns The Cave, put together. And I'm on the roster. Cool. So that's a whole new thing where it's like, if I my dream was like, if I could pay someone to book all these shows for me, yeah. it would be great. And now I can. Now you can. <laughs> um, any ambitions to get out, go tour? Yeah, I'd like to go tour. I've never done it before. Um, absolutely would like to. I mean, it's so much. I'll give you a piece of unsolicited advice. <laughs> it's so much easier than you think. <laughs> People see it as this big monolithic thing, but if you just take it one fucking bit at a time, it's really not that bad. Hope so. Yeah, it's tour, and then hopefully a label. I don't know how to do any of that, so it's just sort of the best way to do it is to do what you're doing. Put out music, you know. Find fans, yeah. you know, make it to a point. So, so what I always used to tell people, and and I was, I'm not an A and R guy. I never right. was an A and R guy, but you know, when when people would always ask me like, "Well, dude, can you pass my thing? You know, pass my demo? You know, how do I get signed?" The A and R guys at record labels, the A and R guys at any record label you'd want to be signed to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say all A and R. Well, you were thinking it. <laughs> I was. And I use the term guys loosely because one of the most successful A&Rs I know is a girl and she rules. And They're really good at their job. Mm-hmm. And and if you're at a point where you should be signed to a label, they already know who you are. Okay. So, you know, and I've heard stories about bands who sign with a label and then some other labels like, oh, you know, shit, well... We were, you know, we wish we would have known you were talking to that label because we wanted to. Well, why, why didn't you fucking say anything? Why just be? But anyway, so that so. To to do what you're doing and to keep doing it and just keep playing, keep making music is the best way to go about. To it. be told that I just keep doing what I'm doing is the greatest relief. Like, oh great, I don't need to try harder. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, trust me, and and what you're doing that's right and what you're doing that's fucking awesome is, you know, you're making music. I can't tell you how many bands and how many artists I've encountered who have 10,000 Twitter followers, who have 5,000 Instagram followers, who uh, you know have a million streams on Spotify, and they have two songs out. I don't know how they do it. it well, it's you know you spend so much time cultivating a brand that right. you, that's time that you should be spent making music. Right. And maybe I'm wrong because I'm the one you know. But again, I just think that you keep playing, you know. You'll find the crowd that you're gonna, that you're meant to find. Gotcha. So, but that's good news. So, so look out, world. <laughs> Al Riggs is coming. Um, no, uh, for real, check him out. Um, AlRiggs.bandcamp.com, and let's wrap up with the seven seemingly random questions. All right, now what are these? They're seemingly random. Let's see. Oh, it's on airplane mode. I have to turn it <laughs> off airplane mode. Damn it! Are you hungry yet? Getting there. All right. We're going to eat some chili as soon as we wrap this up, which Emily is making in the kitchen. And then I'm going to fuck to sleep. Me too. That's something that I realize that's really important getting older is I realize, wow, Mm -hmm. sleep is just the greatest. It's the best. There's nothing like sleeping in your own bed. I was a, I was a, I was a staunch operator on three hours of sleep a night, four or five hours maybe. And in the last couple of years, I'm, Hold on, is it seven? Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Emily Emily wrote the seven random gotcha. questions. She wrote nine of them. 
So today is a special edition. The nine seemingly random questions. <laughs> All right. Least favorite kind of fruit. Oh, Don't sh- think about it. Cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. Worst Christmas present ever. I actually know the answer. Yeah. To this. <laughs> uh, b- uh, uh, balloon animal <laughs> kit. <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but I won't. Uh, beer or liquor? Liquor. Liquor. Uh, high socks or ankle socks? High socks. Screwdriver or hammer? Hammer. PB&J or grilled cheese? PB&J. At the carnival, rides or games? Rides. <laughs> uh, bagel, toasted or untoasted? Toasted always. And toasted. Um, and finally, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth of the seven seemingly random questions. Uh, sleeping with socks or without? Without always. Because if you sleep with socks, you wake up, all the hairs on your feet are going to yell at you. That's oh, the worst. <laughs> all right. Um, so I'm going to play a song now. I'm not sure which one, but I'm going to pull one out. And. Um, we're going to play it. You're going to hear an Al Riggs song. Check him out, alriggs.bandcamp.com. Al Riggs, thank you for coming over. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's go eat some chili. Absolutely. And there it was. An excellent, excellent conversation with Al Riggs. Super funny guy. Super engaging guy. And a really, really fucking talented songwriter. Um, and musician in his own right. Um... Please check him out. He plays a lot. He's starting to play a lot more, which I think is great. Check out his records. Check out his website. And I hope you enjoyed our time together. Because I did. I don't know what Emily's doing. Hey, Em. Was that a tangerine or a clementine that I just ate? Did I just eat a tangerine or a clementine? It was a clementine that I started the show with. Um... It was fucking tremendous. So Trader Joe's at uh, the one by University Mall right now, man. They have the best fucking clementines. And that was not a that's not a plug. I, I don't think I have nearly enough listeners yet to have sponsorship. I just, my wife turned me on to the virtues of Trader Joe's because when we used to live in New York, we the closest Trader Joe's was Union Square. And... It sucked. You, it sucked. You literally had to wait in line to get in the trader to get in the door, and and basically that was the line to check out. and And they snaked the line through the store so that people would just shop while they were online. And by the time you got to the register, you had waited in line the whole time, but you had gone through every aisle. Uh, it's hell on earth. It's why we live in Chapel Hill, and why I love it here so much. So without further ado, tardigrade. Off the album Tardigrade by Al Riggs. Check it out. Enjoy it. We'll see you next time. Thank you.
Dang.